0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, introduced this uh, new uh, series on the basics. And I want, I want you to turn with me to Luke the first chapter. And I made reference to this, but this is a good uh, a good way to introduce or explain why uh, I'm ministering and teaching what I am right now. And so if you look at Luke chapter 1, in the very first verse, Luke said, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Luke, who's obviously the author of of his of the gospel, with, which has his name, uh, he wrote this especially to inform a particular man, Theophilus was evidently a uh, high-ranking Roman official or some type of noble person. And uh, he said, I have set, I've taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. The older King James says, those things which are most surely believed among us. And uh, in... Go over to the book of Acts because he says something similar to this in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Again, the book of Acts is really part two of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts and and addressed it to the same uh, Theophilus. And he said, The former account, referring to the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible truths being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them. And so then we have the introduction to the book of Acts. And so Luke wrote this so that, he said Theophilus had had information. You had heard certain things about this. He said, but because I have perfect understanding in this, he said, I want to make sure that your information is right. You know, a lot of people have information today, but a lot of it's not right. Amen. Inside and outside the church. And so it's good, like Luke, to go back to the basics and say, we're going to present the things that are most surely believed among us so that your information will be right, so that you'll have the right foundation. Yeah. And so that's sort of the spirit in which this uh, this series has been introduced. So the first time, first week, we talked about the new birth. And we talked about the fact that if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. And how glorious and wonderful is that reality. That all things have passed away and all things have become new. Amen. So we talked about the new birth and the new creation the first Sunday. And then last Sunday, we talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would that be next in the study? Well, we see here uh, the Gospel of Luke. In Acts chapter 1, he said the former account I made, referring to the gospel, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then it says, right up until the day he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, in verse four, it says, being assembled together with them, and this, this meeting that Jesus had with his disciples was just before he was taken up, just before he ascended into heaven. And he said, it says here that he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, and as we will see, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's why this naturally and logically and importantly follows the new birth because according to Jesus, it's the next thing in order. Once you are acquainted with Jesus and you're born again, the next thing that needs to happen is he said you need to be filled with the Spirit. So let's read a little bit more. We're just kind of recapping what we said last week. It said, being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. Now hold your place there and go back to Luke again, but go to the last chapter of the gospel of Luke. Luke 24. And let's read the account that Luke is referring to here from his gospel. Luke 24, this is the great commission as recorded by Luke. And verse number 49, Jesus said, behold, I send the promise Of my father upon you. Flip back to Acts chapter one. He said that we, in verse four, commanded them to wait for the promise of the father. So we know this is talking about the same thing. If you go back to to Luke's gospel, he said, tarry in the city of Jerusalem for it. If you go back to Acts chapter four, uh, chapter 1 verse 4, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem. In other words, to tarry. So again, it's talking about the same thing. And then the third thing we pointed out, he said, until you are endued with power from on high. We found out that the word endued literally means to be clothed upon. So he said that you are you are to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes and you are endued with power from on high. If you flip back to Acts chapter one, again in verse four, he commanded them to not to wait, in other words, to tarry uh, or not to depart, but to but to tarry, to wait. And for the promise of the Father. Now in verse number eight, he says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, in Luke 24, he said, you shall be endued with power. In other words, clothed with power uh, uh, from on high. Here it said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Or you're clothed upon with power from on high. It's talking about the same thing. Can everybody see it's talking about the same thing? Amen. Same author. Same uh, occasion, he's talking about the same exact thing. But notice in verse 20, in, in, excuse me, in verse number 5, he said, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this experience that is known as the promise of the Father... It's also characterized as being clothed upon or endued with power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Here in verse 5, it's referred to as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this expression, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, is probably the most commonly used Uh, term referring to this experience. Most of the time people talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This is one of the places where we see this. And so it's also, it could be also referred to as the promise of the father. He also referred to as the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And actually, we'll talk about that feature uh, as we go forward. But right now, I want you to see that, that he he called this the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, he said that this would happen to them in verse number 5. He said, not many days from now. Well, exactly 10 days later, that wouldn't be many days, would it? Ten days is just a few days. Exactly ten days later, in chapter 2, verse 1, it said, "...when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting." Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the next most common expression uh, uh, referring to this experience. It's called being filled with the Spirit. So being baptized with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit are synonymous. They mean the same thing. Notice when they were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I had it in my notes, and and I think I even mentioned this last week, that, uh, well, I'll tell you, before I go, go to that, I skipped something that we talked about last week that I do want to mention real quick. The reason for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But it's not just power for the sake of power. It's not so that we will all be spiritual Popeyes and just be full of power. He said, and you shall be witnesses for me. We're talking about powerful witnesses. I pointed out last week that he didn't say that you will necessarily do witnessing, which we do. We do witness, but that's not really what he said. He said, you shall be witnesses for me. God needs powerful witnesses. You know, you can. You, anybody who's born again can witness for Jesus. You can take a track in your hand, you can stop somebody and you can tell them about Jesus, you can witness to people. And, and we should do that. But you can be an ordinary witness or you can be an extraordinary witness. And I'm not talking about eloquence. I'm not talking about uh, uh, anything education. I'm talking about the nature of power. You can be a powerful witness. We, we, and I talked about this last week in a court the most powerful witness is somebody who knows what's happened. They saw it, and particularly if it happened to them. If it's some type of a criminal investigation, and someone uh, uh, was was injured or murdered or, or or something else, you take the person who who uh, saw it. Or in case of, of of one of the other crimes, it actually happened to them, or maybe it happened to a loved one. That's the witness that the that the uh, the defense doesn't want on the stand. Because that witness is so compelling. It'll, it has people in tears when they relate what actually happened. God wants us to be a powerful, compelling witness for Jesus. And it takes the baptism with the Holy Spirit to affect that. This is what Jesus provided in order. This is what the Father provided in order. This is what God has provided in order for us to be the witness we're supposed to be with power. Amen? So we talked about that a little bit last week. We'll go back to it, no doubt, again as we go forward. But today I want to talk about tongues, and I had it on my, uh, on my notes to talk about our 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 8 when it says that tongues will pass away. And so I, I am gonna to get to that, I believe. But before I do that, I wanna talk about something else. Because uh, there is so much misinformation. You hear about fake news, well there's a lot of fake theology out there. There's a lot of fake information, particularly about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of bias, there's a lot of prejudice and, and, and I know that when someone is sitting in a, in a church service, if you have been instructed in these biases, if you have been instructed in a lot of these traditions, sometimes it's very difficult to overcome it. You almost can't hear what's being said because of what you already heard said. And so it's good sometimes to address some of those things. Now, now, one thing that, that I want to talk about, first of all, before I get to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, is this idea that speaking with tongues is confusing. And it brings confusion. I've heard that uh, 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 challenge or that opposition to, to speaking with tongues many times over the years. It goes sort of like this. Well, you have to look out for that speaking in tongues. We, we're against that because they say every time tongues gets into a church, if tongues, speaking in tongues are, are, are brought into a church, people start speaking in tongues, it always brings confusion and tears the church up. Well, let's, let's examine that and see if that's true. Go with me to, go with, are you already at, at Acts chapter two? Well, stay there said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, verse number four, and began to speak with other tongues as religious fanaticism gave them utterance. Is that what that says? And they all began to speak with other tongues as, as extremism gave them utterance. No, it says they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I went back to my office and picked up the 26 translations. And I want to read a couple of other versions. They all say the same thing, but it just helps us see it a little bit better. It says they all began to speak with other tongues. The, 20, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the 20th century New Testament says, as the Spirit prompted their utterances. The Weymouth translation says, according as the Spirit gave them words to order, excuse me, to utter. The Moffat's translation says, as the Spirit enabled them to express themselves. William's translation says, as the Spirit granted them to utter divine things. Rotherham says, the Spirit was giving unto them to be sounding forth. So the point is, was speaking with other tongues something that came from God? Well, it clearly was because it was the Spirit that gave them the words to utter. These were were words that were divinely given. They came by the Spirit. So speaking with other tongues was absolutely a gift from God and we've already seen it. It was something Jesus prophesied. It was the promise of the Father. They were told don't do anything. They were told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But wait, wait. Jesus said, having said that, he said, now wait a minute, boys, before you go, don't do anything. Don't launch out into this all important ministry of being a witness for me until you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But the question comes in today, it, people say, oh, pastor, I, don't, I know it was God back then. I know the Holy Spirit moved back then that way. But what we're talking about is today, and many, many people believe that yes, it was true back then. Yes, it was from God back then. But today, when people speak with tongues, it's not from God. Well, to begin with, that's a pretty, a pretty curious line of reasoning. That something that originated from God is now originating from somewhere else. Why would Jesus... And why would the Father introduce something at the very threshold, the very beginning of the church age, and and offer an experience and and author an experience that would be later disapproved? Now, there are some things that happen in the New Testament that no longer happen, but but those things are not points of doctrine. For instance, the early church first met Solomon's porch, part of the temple grounds. That's where they met. They later moved into meeting in homes, and that's where primarily the, the early church, in, in in as the gospel spread uh, throughout uh, that part of the world, they met in homes because because they didn't have churches there's a movement today called the home church or the house church movement and they teach that because the church met in homes back then the church is supposed to meet in homes today and it's not even scriptural to meet in houses like that like we have today because they didn't have that back then well if you think about it that way you can can kind of think well that makes some sense but if you think about it the other way it doesn't make any sense at all because the new testament doesn't teach that the fact that they met in homes is just a matter of history. It happened. There's a reason for it happening, but it's no place in the New Testament does it, does it uh, uh, prescribe that as the way we're supposed to meet today. So there's nothing wrong with meeting in a church like this. So there are certain things that happened in the book of Acts, but, and, and they no longer happen today. They could happen. You could meet in a home. This church started in a home, home Bible study. So it could happen, but it doesn't have to happen because it's not a point of doctrine. But here, this is something that the the Spirit of God, by the Father and the Son's endorsement, introduced to the church at the very beginning of the church. And if you go over a little further in this chapter, uh, in verse number... 38 Peter said to them repent let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this sounds like The receiving of the Holy Spirit and receiving Jesus is one and the same thing. These are actually two separate events, two separate uh, experiences, even though they're put together like it is here. and And it sounds like one thing altogether. We will show conclusively by many scriptural evidences that these are actually two separate events, two separate things. He said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 39, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God shall call. So receiving the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift and, it's, and it wasn't just for them back though in those days. It was for them, to their children, their descendants right on down to today, it's for the church age. Besides that, there is teaching about it in the New Testament and we are told to be filled with the Spirit. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, again, people say, well, you know, that happened back then, but uh, now there's another source. Well, that really wouldn't make sense. I want you to notice back in chapter 2, let's go on down to verse number 5. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews... Demount devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now notice that when the unsaved people who were there in Jerusalem, when they heard what was going on, the speaking with other tongues, and the sound of a rushing mighty wind, they were confused. One of the arguments that you hear today is. Speaking in tongues is confusing. It brings confusing confusion in the churches, tears churches up, and God is not the author of confusion. Well, the Bible does say that. In 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, it says God is not the author of confusion but of peace. So that kind of sounds good. Well, you know, if God's not the author of confusion and, and, and tongues, you know, coming into churches and, you know, tears churches up and brings confusion, then, then tongues couldn't be from God today. But notice, was tongues from God this day, in Acts chapter two, were the tongues from God. We've already shown conclusively that the tongues were from God. Were the tongues the thing that resulted in their being confused? Well, yeah. It says when this sound occurred, they were confused. They were confused over speaking, overhearing people speak with tongues. That's, that's what they were confused. And there was the sound of rushing of a rushing mighty wind. I get that. But they were confused. Speaking with tongues caused confusion. But on the other hand, we know God is not the author of confusion. So if God isn't the author of confusion and tongues resulted in the fu- confusion, where did the confusion fr- come from? It couldn't have been from God, it had to come from them. They were confused because they didn't know what was going on. Ignorance, Now, and I don't mean that in the, in the, in the uh, you know, you know, criticism or, you know, being snarky or anything, but ignorance of facts can result in confusion. Have you ever opened up a, a prescription package and taken out that little folded piece of paper? It's about this big and you open it up and it's about this big. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at that? Have you ever read it? Have you ever tried to read it? Give me a good C word for that. Confusing. I would, I would venture to say that Michelle over here and, and, and Alicia in the back, you know, they're nurse practitioners. They have advanced degrees in nursing. I would, give, I would suppose that they would be at least less confused than I am. And maybe they would understand it completely. I don't know. But because we don't understand it, it brings confusion. The old adage is that whatever people are not up on, they're down on. is quite true, especially with religious things. So the people were confused, but, and, and the occasion of their confusion, confusion was the speaking with other tongues, but God didn't bring, make them confused. They were confused because they didn't understand what was going on. The same thing happens today. So when people say, well, confusion comes into a church, well, they'll say anytime tongues gets into a church, it causes confusion. Well, it doesn't cause any confusion here. We're not confused. It always tears churches up and hasn't torn this church up. In fact, we enjoy it. Pentecostal churches aren't torn up by speaking with other tongues. The only time Pentecostal churches are are torn up uh, concerning tongues is when they stop speaking in tongues. When Pentecostal churches stop speaking in tongues, the people who have had that experience become very disgruntled and they're unhappy and they leave and that tears the church up. But speaking with other tongues doesn't bring confusion and doesn't tear up churches where people know and have had this biblical experience. Amen. Now notice this too. He goes on here to mention all the different uh, places these people were from, the different languages they heard. Verse number 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, or you could say confused, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking, said they are full of new, new wine.'" Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose. These people said that were there, they said these people are drunk. Some of them, some of them said these people are drunk and they mocked. You know, mocking is a powerful tool. I said mocking is a powerful tool It's a very effective way of turning opinion. People today mock speaking with tongues. It's mocked in the church world. It's mocked in the secular world. People who don't even know God. All of us have probably heard at some time in some type of film or TV show or something out in the popular culture where somebody refers to speaking with other tongues and it's always done in a mocking way. It's always presented as as something that's ridiculous, as something that's unintelligent And, and so unsaved people, people who don't know God sometimes will mock the things of God. Let us not be a part of that company. Let us not be those who mock the things of God. Let us not be those who mock speaking with other tongues. Amen. But let us rather look to the Bible and find out what the Bible says about it and not be afraid of this charge of confusion because it's people who don't understand that are confused. When you receive enlightenment, you're not, you're not confused. You have understanding. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I have time, I think. Let's go on over then to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And let's look at what is said here about tongues ceasing. One of the big doctrinal positions that uh, people have today is that tongues have ceased. It's called cessation uh, theology. And that tongues have ceased and it was prophesied here in First Corinthians 13, that it would cease. And in fact, they say it has ceased. And so even though tongues uh, came from God and they were, they were, excuse me, a manifestation of the Spirit of God back then, they have now ceased according to the Scriptures. And tongues today, when people speak with tongues, they're not from God because tongues have ceased as far as God is concerned. Well, let's look and see uh, where this comes from. I'll say this: that the only place other than church history, which we don't base doctrine on what happened in the third and fourth century, do we? The only thing other than church history, the only place other than church history that suggests tongues uh, uh, are have ceased today, is this passage. It's not that this suggestion, this thought isn't found anywhere else in the New Testament. So what does it actually say? It says in, uh, it's interesting that I, I've always found it just, just wonderful, that in these three chapters, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, you have such good and, and in-depth information about the move of the Holy Spirit. It starts out in chapter 12 talking about the gifts of the Spirit, then And then later he talks about the ministries of the Spirit in verse 28. And and then at the very end of the the 12th chapter, before it moves into 13th chapter, he says there's even a better way. And he introduced the subject of love. And then in the 14th chapter, goes back to the, to the, the operation of the gifts again. So to me, it's wonderful that within within the scope of this passage, dealing with the power of God, the gifts of the Spirit, all of that, that God has injected two important things. One, the importance of the unity of the church. That's that's there right after it talks about the gifts in chapter 12. It talks about the, the essential unity of the church and the importance for all of us to abide in unity, to recognize that. Then in the 13th chapter, it talks about love. That tells me that, that these, these the, the 13th chapter and the middle of the 12th chapter provide balance, provides temper so that we can move in the power of God but maintain the proper decorum one with another and to maintain a love walk and to treat one another right. That's why they're here, okay? So, uh Verse number eight, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So it says quite clearly that tongues will cease. But when? When will tongues cease? Well... uh, Look at verse 10 again. Excuse me, uh, in, in verse number 10. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. He's saying that tongues will cease when that which is perfect has come. Well, what does that refer to? You'll notice that this chapter, starting in verse number one, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. He first of all starts talking about tongues. Verse number one says, I, Therefore, it, uh, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. He said, Even tongues, he didn't say tongues were not legitimate, but he says, tongues without love is not effective. Then in the next verse, he says, though I have the gift of prophecy. Well, that's another gift of the Spirit. Though I have the gift of prophecy. Then he says, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now here, he's talking about gifts of the Spirit. He's talking about the power of God. He's talking about this whole passage, 12, 13, and 14, is talking about things of the Spirit. So when he talks about all knowledge and all wisdom, he's not talking about normal knowledge because no one has all knowledge. No one knows everything. No one is all wise except God. So when he says all knowledge and all wisdom, he's talking about the gifts of the spirit referred to as the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. Now the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom are uh, moves and operations of the spirit where Knowledge or understanding that the person could not possibly have on their own is suddenly granted to them. It's a word of knowledge. I remember one time, I, I, or a word of wisdom can be can be uh, an impartation of the mind and will of God. What to do, what comes next? I was sitting years ago, it was 1984, I was sitting in a Rhema church auditorium and there was a... Uh, Couple of ladies in our church. They had left the church. They and their families had left the church a year before. And these two ladies, they, their husbands didn't come with them, but they came together. They were friends, and they had started attending church again. And I was glad to have them. I loved them. I thought they were wonderful people. You know, they they left you know because of misunderstanding, but I loved them and welcomed them back. But I also detected that they had their own agenda. They came, they wanted to be a part, they were attending service again, and, I, and that was wonderful. But I could tell that they, that they secretly uh, were harboring something that they wanted. So finally, they came to me and, and asked me about a particular outreach. Could they conduct on behalf of the church? And it was a good outreach. I wasn't opposed to it. It was, it was perfect. Uh, it, it, I had no opposition to it. But I knew that there was an ulterior motive and I and I knew that I would likely have problems out of uh, from them if I allowed them to take this area over. They had been leaders in the church when they were here before, and uh, and so I didn't really know what to do about it. So I was at Rama attending a uh, 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 Holy Spirit seminar, in fact, and I was sitting there before service minding my own business. I got there early so I could get a good seat. I wasn't a director back then, so I didn't have good seats, you know. So I had to stand in line. So I'd gotten in and gotten my seat par- fairly close to the, to the platform. It was, you know, a little while before church. And I'm sitting there minding my own business, reading my Bible, going over some notes from a previous service. What, these two ladies were the, were the furthest thing from my mind. I wasn't thinking about them, wasn't thinking about the situation. And all of a sudden, I saw myself it just sort of in, 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 a, in a sort of a, what I call a mini vision. You just kind of see it. I saw myself sitting in my den at home in High Springs over next to the middle school. I saw myself sitting there and I saw these two ladies sitting in front of me and I heard what I told them. I offered them uh, a, a question. I put a particular question in front of them that I hadn't thought about before. And I heard myself. I knew exactly what I was gonna ask them. And that's it. That's all I knew. So I came back. Now, the interesting thing about it, I saw them sitting in my den and I knew what I was going to ask them and it just came by revelation. It was a word of wisdom. When I got home... Uh, first service back or maybe the second service back, I invited these two ladies after service one night to come over to our house. My wife was there. They came in. I said, sit down in, in the den. When they came in and sat down, it was interesting. They sat in exactly the same place that I'd seen them and they were wearing what I saw them see. Where? Before. And they were sitting there. And so I asked them this question. Now, here's my point. A word of wisdom is only a word of wisdom. You don't know everything. I knew what to ask, but I did not know what their response would be. But I did know this by revelation. I knew I would ask them this question, and however they answered it would be the solution to my problem. They could answer it. I knew there there was two ways they could answer, and either way, it would solve the problem. I didn't know what their answer was going to be. So I talked to them and I said, well, here's what I'd like to propose and this is the question I want to ask. And they said, okay. And I said, you don't have to answer now. You know, you can go out and think about it. So they went out, they thought about it. They made the wrong choice in answer to that question, but it solved my problem. It solved my problem. Uh, that was the end of that problem. The point is, it was a word of wisdom. So in 1 Corinthians 13 here, he said, when he said, uh, Though I have all knowledge and all wisdom. That's an exaggeration. This was stated, all knowledge and all wisdom. So you know it's not talking about ordinary knowledge. Ordinary wisdom. This is talking about a gift of the Spirit. Though I have the gift of prophecy, gift of the Spirit. Though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, gifts of the Spirit. Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. That's the gift of faith. The the miraculous uh, uh, gift of the Spirit, operation of the Spirit of special faith. Uh, and have not love. He said, "If I don't have love, none of these things are worth anything." So he's saying that love has to has to prevail over all the gifts of the Spirit. Speaking with tongues, uh, special revelation gifts, power gifts—they all have to operate in love. And he's saying that spiritual gifts will one day pass away. Doesn't he say that? He said, "For where where there are prophecies, they will fail." Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, that's talking about revelation, you know, gifts of the Spirit, they will vanish away. So these things will one day pass away, but love will always remain. We will have love all through eternity. Love will prevail and be paramount over all under the, under the glorious reign of the Lord Jesus throughout the ages to come. There's not gonna be any strife in heaven. Nobody's going to be gossiping about you. Nobody's going to misunderstand you. Nobody's going to get offended with you. You're not going to tick anybody off. Everybody's going to love one. It's going to be heavenly because love will never pass away. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So the point is today, spiritual gifts, though valid, are incomplete and imperfect. He says in verse 9 for we know in part and we prophesy in part. When I when I received revelation about these two ladies it was in part. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I knew it would fix it. Either way I'd be okay with it. But we know in part, we prophesy in part, but notice But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Well, prophesying is in part. Knowledge is in part. Speaking in tongues is in part. Interpretation of tongues are in part. He goes on to say, for now, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly some translations say we see as in a, in a mirror dimly. You know, their mirrors weren't as good as ours. Today, you can open up your tablet, put it on camera and reverse it and you can see yourself in, in 4K or 8K. You can see yourself better than you want to. You can see yourself in more detail, thankfully, than other people see you. They didn't have that type of reflection back then. They had mirrors for sure. But he said, today we see things spiritually dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall also know just as I am also known. I've also heard it said that preoccupied. I've actually read this in a very, uh, it's actually in Schofield's reference Bible. He has a note and he says that Today, preoccupation with speaking in tongues is spiritual childishness, and he and he uh, references this this verse number eleven. Preoccupation with speaking in tongues is not what's childish. Arrogance is what's childish. Being all full of yourself concerning gifts of the Spirit is what's childish. It's not the tongues that's childish, amen. It's uh, arrogance, so forth. He said, these things are gonna pass away when that which is perfect has come. Then he describes the, the time when that which is perfect has come, verse number 12. But we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Now I know in part, and because I know in part, I prophesy in part, I minister in part. But then I shall know just as I also am known. That is when tongues shall cease. That is when revelation gifts, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge will cease because we won't need any of it. For we will, John's, uh, uh, the, the first epistle of John says, beloved, we don't yet know what we shall be but we know that when we see him, we will be face to face. We will see him as he is. We'll see one another as we are. That's what this is talking about. Can you see that? This notion that, that people have said, well, here's, here's, what, here's what happened that uh, precipitated the tongues passing away. It ceased. It ceased when the New Testament canon was complete. Show me anywhere where that idea is expressed at all in the Bible. In fact, at the time of this writing, there wasn't even a concept of a canon. Their their idea of the scriptures was the Old Testament and then the epistles that were circulating, they they also knew that they had that stamp of divine utterance and supernatural utterance and and they they revered them as scripture. But as far as putting together a New Testament, that idea hadn't even happened yet. Let alone was there any uh, uh, prediction that when the Bible was completed as we know it, then tongues would cease. That's just something somebody made up. Or people say, well, the tongue ceased when the, when the last apostle died. Good news. Apostles are still alive today. Not the, not the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Not the foundational apostles and prophets that, that uh, uh, gave uh, uh, expression of the scriptures. But today, the lesser uh, class of, of apostle, like, not like Paul was a, was a foundational apostle, but what about Barnabas? What about uh, Silas? They were referred to as apostles, but they didn't write scripture. They were on a lower class of apostle. They were just missionaries. That's what the word apostle means, a sent one. And they went out authorized by God to carry the the gospel. And it's a a high ranking office, but that office still exists today. So the notion that, that tongues have already passed away is completely inaccurate. It's it's not even in the spirit of what was written about it passing away. And today, people say, well, we don't need speaking with tongues because after all, we are an advanced society. You know, we are so cultured today. We have advanced medicine. We have technology. We have the arts. We are so cultured. We're so cool. We have arrived. And yet, the most disgusting, debasing, vile sins and activities are flourishing in the cultured Western world like never before. They're exploding. The most vile, the most violent. We have international leaders politicians, governmental officials from around the Western world have been implicated in child sex trafficking rings and some have gone to prison and more likely will. And this is among the upper class. This is among the culture class. This is in the entertainment industry, in politics, in news. The most so-called distinguished people among us are sometimes reverting and devolving into some of the most gross and reprehensible sins that this world has ever known. In the face of global terrorism, people are afraid to speak a word against the prophet Muhammad or to speak a word against the Quran. And yet pictures of Christ bathed in urine and feces hang in some of the most respected uh, 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 art galleries in the world and ooh that 's celebrated as art extraordinaire what 's wrong with this world? You tell me we 're living in a culture we 're living in a time where culture is is going in the tank we're we're living in a time where where people are 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 so degraded so vile if If this world ever needed the gospel in Holy Ghost power, it needs it today. If it's ever been urgent, it's urgent today. Let the church today arise, the triumphant church, arise in old-fashioned, Holy Spirit, divine, earth-shattering, devil-running power. We've got to have it. Stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This confused, sin world needs a mighty display of old-fashioned Holy Spirit gospel power as much as or more than any time in history. I want to ask you, who, who will humble themselves and cry out for power like this? Who will be willing to say, you know, I don't measure up? It's one thing to speak in tongues. It's of God. It's for today. Today. But the whole purpose was to bring power into your life. The Holy Spirit. Who among us will humble themselves and say, God, I need power in my life. I want to be the kind of witness that, that Jesus talked about. I want to be the kind of person that compels sinners by my life, by my experience, by my walk. By your power and your gifts and your glory operating through me. Is there anybody here today that desires that? I want you to come down here if that if that defines you or describes you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Lord, we submit ourselves to you today. We come to you in humility. Father, we come recognizing our need that in and of ourselves we we can't meet the challenge of the world around us. Natural reasoning compelling arguments will never shake this world will never cause a man to turn from his sins will never set captives free will never cause the lame to walk. The blind to see. But your power father. Is what you ordained to work through us. Father we submit ourselves to you today. To be reservoirs. To be filled with power. We've been filled with the spirit in times past. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. And all of us or most of us at least at, at, at different times have experienced that, that surge, that, that awareness of divine power that causes one to tremble under your mighty hand. Father, we have to experience that again. We have to experience that on an ongoing basis. We have to be continually filled with the Spirit if we're going to be the the witness, if we're going to be the church that we're supposed to be in these last days. So Father, we, we ask you today, I want you just to lift your hands and just commune with the Lord yourself. Father, we ask today for the demonstration of your spirit and your power in our lives, for the purpose of winning people For the purpose of setting people free, Father, fill us with your glory. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your spirit again and again and again. Like Paul told the church at Ephesus, be constantly be being filled with the spirit. Again and again and again, Father. We know we're baptized with the Holy Spirit once, but we can be filled over and over and over again. Oh, Father, we seek this. We seek your glory. We seek your plan. We seek your way. We seek your will. We seek your gospel. We seek your power. We seek your ministry. We seek your witness, Father. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God. We confess, Father, that so often we're so busy. We're so preoccupied with life that we have our walk with you sort of structured into neat little time slots in our day, but we're not mindful of you the rest of the time like we should be. We don't walk in that consciousness of your power even as we go about the, the, the necessary things of life. We know you're not calling us to, to abandon human life but we are supposed to carry the consciousness of your presence everywhere we go. And so often other things enter in. So often we're distracted by the cares of this world, the desire for other things, and even, and even sometimes pleasures of life that aren't right. We let these things enter in and it chokes us. It chokes the life. It, chokes the, the, it takes the glow out of our life. It takes that, that, that presence that other people need to experience. It takes it away from us. These things choke it out and hides it. Father, we make a, a determination this very day to put the things of this life in their proper place and to allow Jesus to reign as Lord in his proper place over all things. And Father, we seek the presence of your spirit every hour of every day to be filled, to be filled so that we make a difference the little time we have left on this earth, that we make a difference where we go. We make a difference with who we talk to, Make a difference where we work. We make a difference where we go to school. We make a difference in our neighborhoods. Hear our, our, our cry today, Father. Hear our hearts. Glory to God. Father, we trust you. It is a walk of faith. It is a walk of faith. And we trust you, Father, to take us from this house today and to continue to speak to our hearts as we continue to draw near to you, that you will continue to draw near to us. It all doesn't happen in one service. It doesn't happen at one altar call. It it begins today, but it has to go on. Father, help us to walk out of this place today with a renewed commitment to your presence in our lives. Glory to God. We ask you for that, Father. Help us. Instruct us. Guide us. Correct us. Corral us. Move us. Change us. Whatever needs to happen, Father. All of that needs to happen. And Father, we open our hearts to you. And we ask it in the lovely and powerful name of Jesus.